Well, it is good to have you worshiping with us today, whether you're with us on campus or online uh, or later this week on demand. We are so glad that you've chosen to worship Jesus Christ here at Eastside. Uh, this morning, uh, we're in the second week of a series called Repurposed. And, and before I launch into that, there are a couple of things I need to do. One is I just need to say thank you to all the volunteers who helped us host Wren Collective last Thursday evening. Thank you so much. You did an amazing job. It was a great evening. I was very excited because it was our first event besides Sunday services that we've done since prior to COVID. And so to see everything and all the people from our community who were here, it was a great, great opportunity. Thank you so much for those of you who volunteered to help. I also want to let you know that this is September, and September is an amazing month for us here at Eastside, and here's why. It is the sixth month of our financial year, and what that means is we're almost halfway through, and you guys have been so amazing online and on campus uh, and even on demand uh, throughout the last couple of years, and I just didn't want any of you to like, I don't know, forget the, about the fact that this ministry takes place, and I know every week we tell you how you can give and all those things, but I, I just want to tell you, when you're giving here, God is using you in some amazing ways to change the lives of people here in Madison County and all over the world. And so I just wanted to let you know if you've maybe been on a summer sleep and you forgot to give your money for the church work through the summer, then this fall now, all right, you can, you can give that now. Uh, for those of you who give once a year, those of you who give annually, those of you who give weekly, thank you for however it is you choose to give. Oh, and by the way, if you're a guest here today, or this is the first time you're watching us online, you need to know what I just said. We don't expect anything from you. We expect you to receive from us today. This is our gift to you. But for those of you, this is your church family. Thank you so much for the way you love and support this place. And then the third thing I need to tell you is that two weeks from today, we have a special opportunity. Uh, many of you may know Mike and Heather Webb. Mike's in our, our vocal team quite frequently. Uh, Heather works with some of our young adults and um, is actually one of our elders. And Mike and Heather are the directors of a ministry called Children of Promise. Children of Promise was started 30 years ago. And it was started actually by a family named Sid and Jean Johnson, who were the original staff missionaries for Eastside Church way back in the like 1970s and 80s. And 30 years ago, they had a dream of being able to sponsor children uh, around the world. Um, this is very similar to Compassion International or some of the other places that you see with child sponsorship and world vision, except for this. All of these children are in rural villages. All of them are connected to our fellowship of the Church of God around the world in 80 countries. And so we want you to know that two weeks from today, Mike and Heather are going to be a part of what we're doing on that special day, and we're going to give you an opportunity, if you're, if you're curious at all, about what it means to be involved in bringing wholeness into the lives of children around the world. We want to encourage you to be here that day. To, uh, and for those of you who join us online, we'll have things in the chat room for you, links for you to go to that will help you be a part of this very vital ministry. Now, having said all of that, I, I want us to turn our attention to the fourth chapter of Paul's letters to the churches in Galatia. It's called Galatians in your New Testament. Now, we've been studying this book for a few weeks, actually a couple of months now. Our uh, pulled series came from the first few chapters of this book. This series called Repurposed 
comes from these last chapters of the book. And in chapter 4, this letter shifts. What, what happens is that Paul has been, for those of you who, who have been tracking with us, Paul's been trying to help some people who came to know Jesus through faith in Jesus and were redeemed by Jesus to live out the Christian life. But when he leaves their area and goes to another area, some people come behind him. And when they come behind him, they've got a different message. Their message is this, in order to be a really good Christian, in order to be a follower of Jesus, you need to become a Jew. You need to become a follower of the Jewish religion. So men, you need to be circumcised. Men and women, you need to follow all of the, all of the dietary restrictions of the Old Testament. Um, the, the, the Ten Commandments, you've got to check them all off one by one. You've got to do everything that, that the Old Testament, we would refer to as the Old Testament, they referred to it as the Torah or the Pentateuch, the Word of God. They referred to it in that way. And they were all, they were all bringing that to play on these people who were not Jewish. These people who were Greek and these people who were from Rome and these people who were from all over the, the world who were living in this region of Galatia. And they brought that to them and they're like, no, if you really want to be a follower of Jesus, this is what you need to do. And what happens is that, that these people are now confused. So Paul is writing to say, okay, which is it? Is following Jesus, is being a Christian about following all the rules and regulations, or is it about living in a relationship with Jesus so that your life is transformed, you are repurposed? In one place, he talks about the old has passed away and all things have become new. And when, he, when he's making this argument, he begins to appeal to some historic stuff, stuff that Jewish people knew and Jewish people talked about, but, but that people in Galatia didn't really know. It was all foreign to them. It, it kind of reminds me, I, yesterday I, I was having a conversation with a, a university student um, uh, over at Anderson University, and um, I just made an offhand comment, all right? I simply said, um, I, some of you are gonna get really mad at me for what I said. I just wanna warn you, okay? I said, Ohio is a four-letter word. <laughs> now, we were talking football. We were talking Ohio State, but we, were, we were talking football, and I just said, well, you know, Ohio's a four-letter word. You Buckeye fans, including my daughter-in-law, I'm sorry, all right? But, 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 but I just made that, and, and here's what I got back. I got a blank stare. Four-letter word? What's a four-letter word? Yeah, no idea what a four-letter, and so finally I had, to, I had to look at it and say, okay, O-H-I-O, four letters, four, four letters. And, 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 he, and, he, and he looked at me and he goes, and your point? Your point? Okay, for those of you who are under 25, let me explain. When you say four-letter word, it means you've said a dirty word, okay? It means you've said a swear word. It means you've been cussing somebody out. Any of those things help, right? Because with him, when I said, I said, oh, that's what it means. I said, like, most of the swear words that you say, you have four letters in them. He went, oh. And then he went, O-H-I-O. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he was like, oh, yeah, I got that, all right? And I'm like, okay, lesson one learned. So here's, here's why I'm telling you about that. It's because culturally, language shifts. And culturally, paradigms shift. And culturally, people are still trying to figure out some things um, about how we talk to each other. And right now, in churches, like even here today, on campus, there are, there are some of you, there are some of you who were alive during World War II. 
There, there are people in this room right now who are over 90 years old. There are some of you in this room who, who think that Vietnam and Korea and World War II all happened back to back to back to back like 10 years ago, all right? Learning the context of life is huge. And so what Paul does, talking to these people in Galatia, is he begins to give them context for what these people were telling them about following the laws of Moses. And one of the things he did early in the book was say, now look, God spoke first to Abraham before he spoke to Moses. In fact, Abraham lived 430 years before Moses did. And so before there was the law that came down from Mount Sinai, there was the promise that was given to Abraham. And I'm telling you this this morning because you won't understand the passage I'm going to read if you don't understand this context. What Paul is doing is he's, he's connecting back to the very origins of faith in Abraham that preceded the giving of the Ten Commandments, the, the, the escape from Egypt, and the wandering in the wilderness, all the things from Moses before the burning bush, before all, that, before all of that was, there was this promise to Abraham. And and what he's going to do in the passage I'm about to read for you will be very confusing if you don't understand something about, about Abraham. You see, we read the Bible and we think because something happens in like four or five pages that it happened in like four or five weeks. But like God made the promise to Abraham that he would be the father of a great nation. Abraham had no children. He and his wife Sarah had no children. And God made this promise to him. And if you, if you put the pieces together and you track it, actually... He went 40 years before the promise was fulfilled. 40 years. And he was already a mature adult when the promise came. In fact, what the scriptures tell us is that he was married to Sarah. Sarai was her name before, and he was Abram. So Abram and Sarai leave their homeland to follow God, and, and they've got this promise, and they're chasing the promise. But here's what happens. They keep following the promise and following God, but no baby shows up. No baby shows up for 39 years. 39 years. And finally, Sarah is 89 years old. And she looks at Abraham and she says, you know what? I don't think it's going to happen. I'm 89 years old. I'm I'm past every, every human availability to have a child. There's no way this can happen. So God made a promise. So here's the deal. I think I found a way that we can help God make his promise come true. So what I want you to do is, is, is I'm going to, I have this handmaiden. I have this servant. She's from Egypt. Her name is Hagar. Abraham, I want you to sleep with my servant girl. She'll have a child. She'll be the surrogate mother. This will be our child. We will help God fulfill his promise. Now, that's pretty unconventional. But when you're 89 years old and you've been waiting for 39, 40 years for a promise, suddenly something's got to change, right? And so what happens is that, is that they do this and Hagar gets pregnant. And, and what happens is that when she gets pregnant and Sarah who's really the master's wife for whom Hagar's having the baby, when, when, when Hagar realized that Sarah can't have a baby, she begins to look down on her. 
You'll find this story in the book of Genesis in the 15th, 16th, 17th chapter, just in case you think I'm making it up, okay? And, and what happens is that, is that out of that kind of context, they're going to help God. But now that Hagar's had the child, there are a number of years where, where now she's got the baby. She's got the little boy growing up. She's got the heir to all the things that Abraham has and that Sarah have. And, and this child is going to now inherit everything. And, and now suddenly that relationship between Hagar and Sarah, it's, it's not good. In fact, it's so bad that, that, that Sarah goes to Abraham and says, look, this woman's being horrible to me. She's mistreating me. And, and you need to get rid of her. It's in that context, get this, that over a decade later, so 10 years of this, remember, 40 years waiting, a decade in it, and now, now suddenly, when Sarah is now 99 years old, and Abraham is over 100 years old, Sarah gets pregnant. Now, I, I, I love this. Because here's what, I, there is absolutely no human way that happened. I mean, I understand the birds and the bees, and I understand the human ways of having. For those of you who are younger, check out Google birds and bees. It'll tell you what it means, all right? I, I understand the sexuality of it all. But what I'm telling you is, there are very few, if any, 100-year-old women walking around pregnant. And what I'm telling you is, that when that happened, nobody else in the neighborhood was pregnant at 100. And now, now suddenly, I mean, it's almost, in fact, it's laughable to Sarah. There's, there are certain times in that decade when you find in the scriptures that somebody said, now Sarah's going to have a baby by, by Abraham because God's going to do this miracle. And Sarah just laughs. In fact, she names the child Isaac, which means laughter. <laughs> the rest of his life's like, look at that boy. He came from God, you know. I mean, there's no possible way that that happens human. And it's out of that story a story where, where some people tried to force the issue with God and do humanly what God had promised to do divinely. And that the promise becomes better, more important than the law. And so as Paul is writing to these people in the first century, he remembers this story. Now, he has to explain it the same way I'm explaining it to you because they didn't know the story. They weren't Hebrew. They weren't Jewish. But they had been taught these things about Moses and the law. And, and, and as he's talking about it, suddenly Paul begins to realize in this story of the promised birth of Isaac, in this story of the, of the humanly forced birth of Ishmael, there, there is, this, there is this, this allegory, if you would, about what it means to follow Jesus by faith versus what it means to try to get to know God through your human efforts. Listen as I read from Galatians chapter 4. I'm, I'm going to start reading at verse 21. Remember the context. These people have been told, if you want to know God, if you want to follow Jesus, you've got to do all the law of Moses and the prophets. Listen to what Paul says to them. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law itself? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman, one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, 
while the son of the free woman was born through the promise. Now, this may be interpreted allegorically. What that means is symbolically. These two women represent two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. Now, you have to just, I got to stop. You got to understand. Paul just honked off every Judaizer who would read this, every, every Hebrew who would read this. Because in the Hebrew faith, in the Jewish understanding, Hagar and Ishmael were rejected. Hagar and Ishmael were, were discarded. God did make a promise. If you go back and read in Genesis, God made a promise to her in the time when she was discarded that Ishmael himself would also be taken care of, that there would be some, some love and some expression and mercy and, a, and, a, and a, a nation would come out of him just like out of Isaac and, and out of Abraham. But, but in the Hebrew faith, Abraham, you got, it's real simple. Sarah good, Hagar bad. Isaac good, Ishmael bad. And now here's what Paul's saying. Did you hear it? Well, you don't know the context, let me tell you. He just said, Hagar is just like the law of Moses. Hagar is Mount Sinai. That's where the law of Moses was given. So suddenly, to Jewish people, he's just, seriously, he has just honked them off so much. Because what he said to them is, look, the person you disdain is really a symbol of the way that God doesn't want people to live. And she is a symbol of what you think God wants people to live. She's a symbol of the law. That's just, oh, I mean, that's, I mean, at this point, somebody somewhere in Israel is picking up a rock to start stoning Paul, okay? This is not good. This is blasphemy. And what he's saying is, look, you got to know that this story, there is this, this person you think is bad and you think you're good, and the fact is you're living just like them. And then look what he does. He keeps going with it. She also corresponds to the present Jerusalem for she is in slavery with her children. So these people who had never been to Jerusalem had been hearing about Jerusalem. And he said, no, no, this corresponds to Jerusalem. So Hagar is like all of these people. Everything these people want you to do, that's like Hagar. It's being tried and done through human effort. You gotta get that. Nothing else I say today will make any sense if you don't understand that. What Paul is doing is saying, look, what these Judaizers are asking you to do, what this law of Moses asks you to do, all of this stuff was done so that, yes, God put the, law, the Ten Commandments in place. Yes, God spoke all of this into being. But it was all, it was all been contrived now. It's all been turned now into something that you try to do humanly. But, but, listen to what he says. But the Jerusalem above is free. And that, she, is our mother. For it is written, rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. 
But just as at that time, the one who was born according to the flesh persecuted the one who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. What Paul has just done is he's just said, listen, you've got to know that that what these people are trying to do to you is put you in a place where you, you basically believe that if you follow all the rules and you do all the right things, you're going to earn your way to heaven. But Jesus came to set you free from that. And this morning, I want to talk to you about what, what that looks like in the 21st century. Because I have to tell you, I feel like one of the things that's happened is a lot of us, particularly culturally, have, have taken in in the Western culture this, this idea about if I can just be good enough. How many times have you, have you heard somebody, I mean, maybe it's just me because I'm a pastor all of my adult life, but, but maybe it's just me, but maybe it's not. Maybe you've heard it too, that, that you know, if I, I'm just gonna get myself cleaned up enough to go to church. When I, when I get enough of this fixed, you know, Reverend, I'm coming back to church once I get, you know, once I break this habit, once I, once I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get back, to, I'm gonna do it that way. I'm, I still remember a lady one time that uh, came forward to kneel in an altar in a church in Tennessee when I was pastoring there, and uh, and, and when I got down, she like, you know, people are praying around her, and, and when I got there, here's 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 what I hear, okay, I'm not a bad person, I'm not a bad person, I'm not a bad person. And so I looked at her and I said, you're right, you're not a bad person. You're not a bad person at all. God loves you. She goes, then why am I sleeping with my boss? Okay, you married to you? Is that your husband? No, no, no. Okay, you're a bad person. No, I didn't, I didn't say that, all right? No, what I'm saying is we fall, we fall prey to the thought that we're gonna, that everything is, is something that we can control. It's kind of like what Sarah was saying earlier. When we try to control it, we try to break the chains ourselves. That's what the Judaizers were doing. They were, they were trying to, to make the thing change. They were trying to give people enough rules and regulations to follow that they would be able to, and, and we've got people who do that. Here's, here's what Paul wants everybody to know. It's what he wants you to know. If that's who you are today, he wants you to know that Jesus set you free, and he set you free from the need to constantly try to earn his love. You don't have to earn his love. From the moment you were born, in fact, before you entered this atmosphere, when you were in your mother's womb, he loved you. He knows you. He believes in you. You don't have to prove anything to him. You don't, have to, you don't have to try to earn his grace, earn his salvation. No, he loves you, period. And Jesus came to set us free from trying to be good enough. You don't have to do that. That's, that's the Hagar and Ishmael, and Judaizer tendency. But you're a child of the promise. Sarah, Isaac, the stuff only God can do. 
And God can do that for you. And, and so you've got to know that part of the reason Paul's writing and the Holy Spirit has placed this in Scripture so that you can hear it today. Wherever you are, whatever's going on, you've got to know in Jesus there's grace and love and healing and mercy and you are already enough. Quit trying to impress everybody. Quit trying to earn everybody's love and grace. Quit trying to earn God's. You, you're already enough. He knows you. One of the interesting parts of this story that Paul doesn't tell is about Hagar and Ishmael years later after Isaac is born. And this conflict gets really bad between Hagar and Sarah. And, and Abraham throws Sarah, casts Sarah away. Or I'm sorry, casts Hagar away because Sarah's on him to do it. And Hagar takes Ishmael and they go out into the desert. And when they're out in the desert, forsaken, hungry, actually starving to death, she places Ishmael, who by this time is 12, 13 years old, underneath a tree. And she's going to watch her son die. There's no water, there's no food. And she, in that midst, begins to cry out. And God hears her. And God comforts her. And God provides water for her and her son. But in the process, she makes the statement. She says, even in my despair, I am known by God. See, what I want you to know is that you are known by God. What Paul wanted the church in Galatia to know is it's not by the rules, not by the regulations, not by the Mosaic law. It's by the promise of God. So you're set free from trying to earn. You're set free from trying to be good enough. But when you are, it's not just what you're, see, freedom isn't just about what we're set free from. It's also when we are set free of the power of other people's expectations. See, there's only one person whose expectations you really need to meet. His name is Jesus. And he loves you. Oh, he has more for you than you've ever dreamed. He has a plan for your life you, you've never even thought of. He's got more inside of you than you could ever, ever tap into on your own effort. And that's why through the promise, he says, look, let me, let me do for you what I did for Abraham and Sarah. You may have to wait 40, 50 years to see it. It may take a long time. But if you'll keep trusting me, I'm going to do something that's so marvelous in your life that you are set free of the expectations of the people around you. Uh, when I was uh, in that church in Chattanooga, the same one where the lady was at the, at the altar and she was saying, I'm, I'm, not, you know, I'm not a bad person, I'm not a bad person. I, I got a phone call one day, um, came to the, to, the, to the office at the church. It was my day off and I happened to be at the office actually trying to fix something I wasn't really qualified to fix, okay? The air conditioning kept going out and I was trying to save the church money, so I was learning as a 25-year-old how to, how to work on that stuff. 
with some of the other guys from the church. And um, the secretary came out and said, hey, pastor, they, they've just called, and Howard Medley is taken, has, has been taken to the hospital. Now, Howard was this wonderful old guy, about 80 years old, and uh, his wife's name was Clois. They were from North Georgia, and, and Clois had one of those North Georgia accents where he talked like this all the time. It's like, hi, how you doing? My name's Clois. Glad to see you. Now, I found out later it's because she'd had an accident that had crushed her sep the, the, the bones up in here and, and it affected everything in the way she talked. But I didn't know that. I just knew that she was always like, hi, Pastor, how you doing? And I'm 25 and I was afraid to ask, okay? And so uh, we get the phone call and he's at the hospital and I'm like a mile from the hospital. I'm like, okay, I don't care what I look like. I mean, I'm in blue jeans and tennis shoes and a dirty old T-shirt and we're working on a thing. And the chairman of the board's there. He said, hey, go to the hospital, Reverend. We got this. So I go up to the hospital, 25 years old. I had hair, okay? It was not combed, all right? It was, it was like, all that. And, and so I, I get up to the hospital and I go in and I go up to the ER, to the nurse's station, and I say, hi, I'm Pastor Robinson from Scott Memorial Church of God down on Waterhouse Avenue, and one of my parishioners, Howard Medley, been rushed here over the hospital, and I need to go see him. And this nurse, I promise you, she looked at me, she goes, well, you don't look like, look like any preacher I've ever seen. I'm like, well, excuse me very much. I said, but I'm, 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 I'm their pastor. No, you don't look like, she would not let me in. After like five minutes of arguing with her, I'm thinking, what in the world? And so I, I, I we didn't live far, and so I, I went home. I, I promise you, I did this. I went home, I took a shower, I combed my hair, I put on a suit and tie, and I did it all in like 15 minutes, okay? Just really, really fast. And I went back, hair kind of combed in the, in the suit and tie, walked up to the same nurse, same desk, said, hi, I'm Pastor Robinson from Scott Memorial Church of God. Well, hello, Reverend, come right on in. I'm like, well, I just met her expectations now, right? Only to find out when I got in that Clois, who was about five foot tall, said, oh, good, she let you in. I said, yes, ma'am, because I look like this. She said, that's not why. I said, what? She goes, well, I heard your voice when you came the other time. And so I went out and I told that, that nurse, in fact, I pinned her up against the wall and I said, I know he looks like a little boy, but that's my pastor. Let him in. I have never worried about what I look like to go in a hospital again. Because I'm counting on Clois somewhere. Can, can I tell you something? Once you understand that you're free from trying to earn your salvation, from trying to be good enough for God, that he also doesn't just set you free from stuff, he sets you free of the power of other people's expectations, then your life gets totally, totally changed. Because now you understand that when your life is over, when, when, when you're, you're not breathing on this earth, but instead you're standing at the doorstep of eternity, it's really not anybody else's expectations that matter. It's that, that person named Jesus. It's that son of God, 100% human, 100% God, who's standing there and he, and he looks at you and says, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into my father's house. Or he looks at you and says, you know what, I never knew you. See, it's not about anybody else's expectations. It's about 
It's about your relationship with Jesus Christ. That's why Paul is trying to tell these people, hey, look, you got to know. Hagar, she represents this, this system of, of the law and the covenant in Jerusalem. But Sarah, Sarah represents this promise, this faith, this Jesus. Because you see, the real secret of repurposed freedom is that when you're free from and you're free of, you are also free to. You are free to live in a relationship with Jesus. I need to tell you a story. This has been a story of two women, two sons. This is a story of a friend of mine who, um, when he was born, his mom and dad weren't, weren't married. When he was born, um, lived for a few years with the two of them, and far away from his father's family. And then his, his father died. And then his mother died. And then they, they brought him to his father's family. And there were members of his father's family who were like, no, that, he's not one of us. They, they, they weren't, this was, they, they rejected him. But there was one, his, his father's younger brother, who looked and said, no, that's, that's, my, that's my brother's boy's. Because that's my brother's boy, I'm going to take care of this little fellow. And he went through the process, not just of feeding and clothing and getting school for him, but, but the process of adopting him as his own son. And he and his wife became father and mother to this little boy. And this little boy fell in love married his high school sweetheart. They were married for 57 years. And when his uncle, who became his father, passed away, this little boy, now a man, was a part of the family. He was included. He had been for years now. And when he, when, when he, fell in love with that high school sweetheart and they got married, they had kids. And this last Friday evening, I got notification from one of his nephews that my friend had passed away. On Thursday night, he was watching a ball game where his grandchildren were playing baseball and um, began to have a pain in his leg that shifted to his chest that made his wife take him to the emergency room where they put him in surgery and he never, he never regained consciousness, passed away from this life to the next. And, and yesterday they published his obituary written by his children. And here's what they said about their dad. 
For our dad, family was the most important thing. He told us over and over and over again. His favorite saying was, family is everything. Because he didn't have family. And God gave him family. And now we will continue to be family. And as I read those words, I, I found myself moved to tears. Because you see, my friend's daddy was my grandpa. And the man who died Friday morning was my father's half-brother. And that was suddenly my family. And I can't remember a time when I did not hear my father, whose mother died when he was two, who was raised by his grandparents, who modeled this whole thing of including people who, who the world says don't belong into their family. And I, I'll be honest with you, I suddenly understood why Jesus wanted me to talk today about what it means to be free from, to be free of, but to be free to a relationship. Because my uncle got to heaven on Friday morning I have no doubts because of his faith in Jesus Christ. And when he got there, his brother, my father, was waiting. And what I want you to know is that when Paul talks to the church in Galatia about what it means to be repurposed out of our old life into the new life, what it means to be set free from the regulations into a relationship with Jesus Christ, that that's not just talk. That's real. And no matter who you are and where you're from, no matter what's happened in your life, Jesus Christ died on a cross for you. He was raised on the third day so you could discover a relationship with him so that for the rest of your life, you can, you can say to everybody, I've been given a brand new family. Family of God is everything. For we are no longer the children of slaves we are the children of promise. So this morning, we're going to sing a song that talks about what it means to be free in Jesus Christ. And I'm going to invite you, whether you're on campus or online or even later this week on demand, I'm going to invite you right now to place yourself in a posture, in a position where you can hear God say to you, I want to set you free because I love you with everything I have.